Welcome to the second podcast of TC39ers. Today for the show, we have Jordan Harbin. Welcome to the show, Jordan. Thanks. Good to be here. You might be knowing Jordan for many of his open source repositories that he maintain, like Enzyme, uh, Airbnb, JavaScript Style Guide, ES5, ES6 shims. And he's also an editor of TC39. Today, we'll discuss more about TC39, JavaScript, and everything around it with Jordan. Jordan, to get started, can you just uh, give us a quick uh, story of your life and what interested you in technology and computer science and what uh, made you to uh, get into this? Sure. Um, I mean, I've always been into computers, uh, probably less programming, although I did, you know, like stuff with hypercard and a little bit of web design as a kid, but um, mainly like in the beginnings of college, uh, computer science was one of the directions I was considering going. Um, I ended up actually dropping out of college and um, eventually started a company with a bunch of friends. And that was really where kind of my on the ground education started. Um, it's, I, I, it seems like it's a lot easier to learn things when you have something to build. Um, so I worked on that startup for many years and um, at some point you know, we ran out of money and I needed, so I needed, you know, a quote real job. And um, we kept working on the startup on the side, but uh, I got a, you know, a day job um, and I've moved through a couple of those. I started at a company called Brightkite and then moved to one called TripIt. Um, after that, I worked at Twitter for a bit uh, and then was at Airbnb for a number of years. And now I'm at a company called Open Door. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think the, the main kind of evolution for me was, uh, when I started getting into open source, um, I kind of over time ended up just accumulating projects to maintain. Um, it turns out that when you file a lot of issues about bugs and a lot of pull requests, trying to fix things that when people don't when maintainers don't have the time to work on their projects, they often are willing to just kind of hand over the keys and say, well, you know, why don't you do it? <laughs> um, and so I, I kind of picked up a lot of projects to maintain that way. And, um, you know, over time I've amassed a pretty, pretty big pile of, of, of things. Um, yeah. Uh, along the way, uh, as, so some of those open source projects were the ES5 shim and the ES6 shim, as you mentioned. Um, and as a result of that work, uh, one of the TC39 members reached out to me over Twitter and asked if I'd be interested in coming to one of the meetings. And I was, I showed up and had a really pleasant experience. It was, you know, super pedantic and like, you know, really, there's a lot of stuff I didn't understand. But even in that first meeting, I was able to help provide a perspective as a library author uh, that the room didn't have as much of at the time and um, was able to uh, affect a substantive change in the spec. So that was really, you know, that was really meaningful that it didn't take very much time for me to be able to add value to um, what, I, what I see as, you know, the most far-reaching and widely used language in the world by many metrics, um, and, and thus a, a very important language. Definitely. That that kind of reminded me, on, I, I don't know if you remember, but uh, somewhere around 2008, 2009, I had sent a PR to one of uh, the shims, and it was more about positive zero and negative zero on, on lines like that. 
and uh, you had come back on the pr which was already merged and you posted a comment suggesting hey we need to probably change it this way and it was like an elaborate uh, detailed uh, you know discussion and uh, i was like hey who is this guy and it just kind of started following you and then i found that you're like super active on irc helping out people like probably from newbies to like total experts like discussing about javascript and uh, you know like always being there for the community and uh, really uh, happy to uh, you know uh, talk to you on the show today thank you yeah i mean i do remember and like the negative zero is one of those details that most people never have to deal with or think about so it's like diving into those sorts of things helps me you know has helped me become really familiar with uh, kind of obscure parts of the spec and then i definitely do spend an inordinate amount of time on irc and slack and, and other communities um but i i actually f- i find it that teaching other people things and answering questions is the most effective way that i can stay on top of things um even though the majority of the questions are like things that i may already know uh even if that's the case then i still i'm still learning things about how to teach it and how to describe it and what people have trouble with so i found that really valuable yeah thank you for that uh, also uh, i'm not sure if many of the listeners are aware that uh, jordan is an editor in the tc39 um, community um uh, in the tc39 committee how did you become an editor and what do you think are the the roles and responsibility of an editor is it like a solid uh, guidelines that hey editor should do these things or is responsible for these things or is it more of an ad hoc kind of a role yeah i think um so so i started in tc39 as like an invited expert and then a delegate for twitter in 2014 um and have continued to be back and forth between those um uh, you know a delegate whenever my employer has has made me one and an invited expert in between and um the original editor of ES 2015 ES6 um like had spent i don't know 6 years or something like that on uh maybe 4 years a bunch of time uh writing ES 2015 and and sort of stepped down at that point and Brian Turlson um took that over and then after a few years uh he had expressed some interest in you know either stepping down or getting some help and so i was happy to to kind of volunteer to 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 fill that role um as for what the editor does i mean i think that's a there's a lot of confusion i think about that even within the committee the editors don't have a lot of like authority or power it's not like i wave my hands and things happen in the language it's more like um the editor's job is to like document the will of the committee and um the editor does have some some say in the way the spec is presented but considering that this the specification is written for uh multiple constituencies right it's written for implementers like browser engineers and things like that and you know node engineers to be able to understand how the specification is written it's written mm-hmm. for people like me like polyfill authors um people who need to make sure that they're implementing the specification correctly even in javascript and also kind of regular people who want to understand how the language works at a deeper level so there's really no change that an editor can make that has that that shouldn't have the input of many other people mm-hmm. um so you know whether 
over time, there's been the, the group of editors has been a varying size for brief periods of time. It's been just me, but for the most part, it's been multiple people and um, the everyone brings different opinions and perspectives. And so we have a group right now of four of us and uh, we're trying to kind of focus on kind of the formalism of the spec, the reducing the things that are not described or that are described inaccurately. Um, it's a very large specification and it's evolved sort of organically over time. So there's a lot of pieces that have been inadvertently kind of left to fall through the cracks. And so um, gradually cleaning those up has been, uh, is kind of what we've been focusing on. So it's things like, how do we describe the way that abstract operations, which are like spec level functions or macros, like how do we describe those and how are they used in the specification? And given that they're not real things, like you can't inspect an abstract operation in the JavaScript console, like it's, it's kind of, it's really like pseudocode to explain to implementers and readers, like how the language should work, but you don't have to follow that when you implement it. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, we're trying to con convey clarity about something that needs to be very precise from a JavaScript runtime perspective, but also needs to allow some freedom from an implementation perspective because, uh, you know, each engine might be using a different programming language to implement themselves. You know, one engine might be written in JavaScript, one might be C++, one might be something else. Um, and different engines have different constraints, right? Like there's web browsers, you know, there's Node, there's people running a JavaScript engine that runs on small Android phones or on a bunch of tiny, like kind of Internet of Things devices. And so like we have to find a way to specify the observable semantics, right? Like what your code can see um, in a way that still gives them the freedom to to innovate with performance and optimizations and within their constraints. That's intense. Uh, if someone reads, if someone goes and reads the spec for the first time, it sounds so very esoteric and like confusing and like, hey, what's this even, right? It um, is. Yeah, but if someone if someone's aspiring to be an editor one day, like what are all the attributes that one needs to work on or polish their skills on? So if if they have a chance, they could probably go and edit the spec one day. Sure. Um, so there's I have kind of two answers to that question. Uh, the first one I'm not going to go into detail on, but is basically the a concern in almost every aspect of life is like human concerns. You have to be able to communicate and you have to be able to uh, understand people's concerns and convince them that you understand their concerns and are hearing them um, because you can't really get anything done unless you've got that kind of to, to a certain level. And that's something, of course, I, like everyone else, has a lot of work to, to do there, um, but that's an important aspect. Um, underneath that, it, you know, it's sort of familiarity with JavaScript, the language, and with the way the specification is written. The way that I, there's many ways I'm sure to gain that familiarity. The way that I learned it is that I already sort of knew how JavaScript worked to some degree. And um, I looked up JavaScript functions in the spec that I understood already. So like I knew how array map worked. So I was like, cool, I'll, I'll go look at the specification for array.prototype.map. And then I read through the steps and try to figure out based on what I already know, how that maps to the way the specification describes it. And over time, as I do that, I sort of learned the domain, you know, the domain specific language that the specification uses to describe things. And then it became easier to look at something I wasn't familiar with and piece together 
how it was supposed to work from that. And there's still parts of the specification I'm not very great at. Um, the way that the grammar, like the syntax is specified is probably my weakest point. Um, you know, I, I know, I think I get to have the concepts down for like atomics and shared array buffers, but you know, I'm very much not confident about my knowledge there. So there's, you know, I, that's why I'm glad to have other editors to help me. And also why I'm glad that there's, you know, many other folks on the committee and in the community who are offer their expertise. Cause it's, uh, it's, it's a large surface area and it's not reasonable to expect anyone to keep all of it in their head at all at one time. Um, that's, that's part of the job of the editor, right? Is to figure out a way to, uh, make this stuff clear enough that even if you only understand a portion of it, that you can adapt that knowledge in a reasonable amount of time to the rest of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so this still is like, right. In terms of grammar or semantics is like still very, uh, uh, hard net to crack for anyone who's like trying to understand, uh, let alone how to write the spec, but mm -hmm. to read the spec. I believe reading the spec is also an art. Uh, would you like to throw some light on uh, or give some tips on how would you go and read the uh, spec? As you mentioned, like uh, say the map method, uh, most of us know how map works. Probably some of them would go and uh, see the MDN pages or some of them even might go into the spec. But uh, do you have any... Uh, pro tips or what is the method that you have found over these years um, on reading the spec? Like, are there some things which are, which have helped you to read the spec uh, quickly or skim it through or get some insights that most of us might miss? Yeah. I mean, I, I really think that like, if you ask 10 people, you'll get 12 answers. I think that um, <laughs> like just the, the, the way that the only way I can kind of conceive of doing it is, is, is what I described, like kind of just, taking the parts of the language that you know from a JavaScript programmer's perspective and then trying to connect that knowledge to those parts of the specification. And then once you feel like you've done that, kind of ex expanding that. So look at some more methods that maybe you don't know how they work in JavaScript as well and say, well, can I figure out how it's supposed to work in JavaScript based on what the spec says now that I know how to translate those two? You know, I, I feel like it would be similar to if you're trying to learn a, a language that's, you know, like a spoken language that you don't know. It's like, I'm sure there are tons of ways to learn spoken mm -hmm. languages, but one way that makes sense to me is you connect the things you understand. And then once you've done that, you try to relate that knowledge to the things you don't understand and see if you can translate it. So, you know, I, you know, as I learned Spanish, I, you know, under, I, I built up a basic vocabulary and some basic concepts. And then over time I was able to kind of develop that into more you know, a bit, a greater ability to translate or even a greater, eventually a greater ability to not have to translate. And, you know, similarly with the specification, after a while, you don't have to think about it in terms of JavaScript necessarily, or I don't at least, um, because I've kind of on some level learned to quote, speak it natively, if that makes sense. Yeah. So you, you could say like, uh, JavaScript is your, uh, you know, first language after maybe English yes. and Spanish. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, well, from, from, for computer terms. Yeah. I mean, I, I know a number of other languages and you know, to be quite frank, uh, I know a lot more, you know, I learned a lot, uh, a lot more PHP before I learned JavaScript, but, um, I mean, JavaScript really is my primary language. And so, you know, the specification is a secondary one and, you know, on, in some parts of it, I, I'm, fluent to a degree. And in some parts of it, I'm not some parts of it. I'm constantly looking things up or asking other people how to, what things mean. And 
you know, I feel like it's the same process with a spoken language. I'm relatively fluent in Spanish, but you know, I still have to ask people what things mean sometimes, or still have to Google translate them, think some things to make sure I'm interpreting it correctly. That's a very nice analogy. And uh, getting back to the uh, initial discussion we had, Jordan, like you said, you dropped off, dropped out from college. Um, did you feel that college education was too very dumbed down or very mechanical, or it was more like a factory which was producing uh, graduates? What's your opinion? Like, would you like to share about that? I mean, I'm sure that's true for some schools or some students or some programs, but I, I, I wouldn't want to paint it with that broad a brush. I think it's more that um, for me at that phase of my life, I was not prepared to for the style of learning that that school and colleges tend to require uh, there's many ways to learn things school is only one of them or it's only a good fit for you know it's only one solution it's only a good fit for some of them and for me school like was not a good fit really it's it's I could learn stuff there but it just I, it was hard you know, it, it wasn't easy for me to, to come up with motivation or for things or to stay on task, you know, um, and I could, you know, psychoanalyze myself a lot further, but we don't have time for that. Um, but I think it's more that like, I'm, I'm fortunate that of the things I enjoy doing, and I'm also good at, um, a subset of them is able to, you know, pay, pay enough money to live on. And Programming happens to be one of those things that also does not require a degree, at least not in the fields I'm in, and at least not in the parts of the world that I'm in. It very it might be the case that there's some parts of the world where you need a degree to, you know, separate yourself from the pile of applicants. It might be it very much might be the case that there's some expertises where, uh, without a degree, you are, you know, you won't be as competent. But, you know, for luckily for all the things I do, that's not the case. And so I haven't seen it as a setback, um, you know, and virtually no job I've applied for has even mentioned the lack of a degree or schooling at all um, as part of the application process. Um, so, you know, not everyone may have the same experience, but that that's how I would describe it. So I think if I had enjoyed school on a different level, then I would have stuck with it and you know, if people do enjoy it, I think they should stick with it. Like, I, I don't think nobody should go to college. Um, and, you know, but I think that, uh, I think there's a difference between valuing education and lifelong learning and between forcing everybody through the same expensive time consuming, uh, you know, targeted to a small set of learning approaches tunnel that is university and college. Very well summarized, especially valuing education and lifelong learning. Um, that's also a positive sign, like uh, given that uh, kids these days are like coming up with their own ideas or maybe startups, apps, which is good. And as you said, it's debatable and depends from person to person. Mm -hmm. And when I also think that our ideas about the necessity of college developed at a time when information was not highly accessible. There wasn't an internet. There wasn't, you know, things like that. Um, I mean, when I grew up in the eighties, like having an encyclopedia was a, a luxury. Um, whereas now everybody's got like 50 encyclopedias in their pocket. So I think that, uh, the feasibility of not going to college is a lot higher now than it was in previous decades. And so, you know, I, I think industries are thankfully reevaluating 
the necessity of college and hopefully also not discarding its its usefulness right but mm. yeah definitely that that reminded me of those tell me why books and the great britannica encyclopedias mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so the one common thing that i get to hear when i talk about uh, tc net 39 to folks uh, is people try people get confused between the stage processes from like starting from stage 0 to stage 4 like if you were to give one liners for each of these stage like uh, is it possible or how would you define it yeah so the um i would give different one liners if i'm just telling somebody like trying to answer your question versus if i'm trying to um explain them within the committee because the the questions arise sometimes but uh, the the way i kind of casually describe it is stage 0 is like i got a crazy idea uh stage 1 is maybe this idea is not so crazy let's spend some time to talk about it um like you know this is a this is a problem worth solving stage 2 is uh i think i know i think we know how to solve the problem and here's what we think it'll look like stage 3 is this is the solution that we are pretty confident we're going with let's like make sure that everyone's going to be able to implement it and ship it and that it's web compatible and so on and then stage 4 is you know it's in the language it's shipped a few places uh you know it's done right and you know even stage 4 things can change but you know the the as things advance through the process the likelihood of certain things changing goes down over time that's awesome probably twitworthy <laughs> um uh tell me jordan is is there something that's keeping you busy apart from uh, javascript maybe non tech or maybe tech or a different language or both i would definitely love to hear that yeah i mean so when it comes to tech stuff i spend the bulk of my time maintaining my projects uh outside of work at least and um most of those are javascript although i do maintain nvm which is a posix bash script which is very painful doesn't even have a raise um <laughs> the but i think what i am spending a lot what i'm trying to focus a lot more of my time on is uh getting better at relationship building and uh advocating for systemic improvements in things so for i'm spending a lot of time participating in node working groups um like the modules working group the package maintenance working group things like that um mm-hmm. i'm spending you know i'm participating with the open js foundation um have kind of a few different working groups there um i'm try i'm participating in npm's rfc process um the yeah i mean trying to and, and it's i think it's it's a difficult a different kind of problem collaborating at those levels because it's not just about writing code and making pull requests it's about building relationships and trust and mm-hmm. uh uh getting buy in and that's something that um you know that is very it's very important for me to do that in all aspects of life uh at work at home uh and you know as and generally on the internet so um the developing that skill is i think really where i'm i've been focusing my time wow that that's that's a really nice area to focus on and that that kind of brings me to this point where i want to ask you like 
how, how are you like balancing it out right uh, i i did try i did try like doing daily commits on github for a very long like relatively a long time like say uh, 500 or days and then i then we had a kid and i had to focus on him more like but i see your <laughs> contributions or the number of projects you're maintaining and like keeping checks and balances and all of it it's like crazy amount of work that you're doing and still you you're on irc answering out people helping people solving problems and at at having a day job and also like having family and things right like mm-hmm. are you like, is there a clone of you or like how are you managing <laughs> this uh, yeah i mean i think at so i think that i let's see how do i put this so at this point um most days my commit activity or contribution activity on github is sort of like a meditation i do a few minutes a day and that's sufficient um i like that would be a minimum so on you know the the days my children were born um you know it's not hard to find a few minutes to myself when i'm taking a break you know uh and kind of relax a little bit by you know reviewing a pr or pushing some code or whatever and um i i certainly don't believe that people need to use their free time this way and certainly many people may not consider that enjoyable or relaxing but for me it is um i th- i think that uh the i think that that people need to build their lives around what's what they value and those things can of can be whatever they want them to be and uh for me i like i love playing video games but i my i hardly ever play video games anymore because i value open source and my family time more and that's a worthy trade off for me um you know if i would i could easily play more video games spend spend more time on that stuff but i would have to dial down one of the other things and i don't want to dial down either of those other things so that's cool you know life's about making choices um yeah. i think that uh Yeah, I think that like the like a commit streak or whatever is um for me it's mainly just symbolic about kind of making it a like if you were if you were doing a meditative practice you would do like breathing exercises or 5 minutes of meditation a day or you know whatever that's like like a mindfulness practice it's just about remembering to do it as a habit and for me that that's what my contributions are it's it's not that they're always going to be particularly meaningful or that if it's not that if I skip a day it matters it's more just um i like having the practice and the habit right. of doing that right yeah totally can uh, you know relate and resonate with your thoughts uh, when few of my friends were asking me that i was also in the same or it, it becomes more like a habit like did you forget to brush today or have your food today no you didn't like yeah. i get few minutes to probably read my pr and like the meditative state the flow definitely yes and i'm really happy that you're able to find a balance there and Uh, you know contributing to the community hmm. yeah and then also i have enough projects that it's like some projects are more frustrating than others at times that you know some of the projects attract very entitled folks or angry folks um some of them require a lot more of my attention than others but like i because i have so many it's actually really easy to find a select a project to work on today that matches my energy level so um you know i it's there was a period of time when i had to seek out work to do 
And there was even some times when I had to spread work out over a few days to make sure I had something every day. Uh, at that time has long since passed. It's not, not hard to find something every day. <laughs> yeah, definitely. With the amount of projects you're maintaining and contributing to, I can totally understand. And I, I normally finish off uh, the conversations asking one common question for all of the delegates. Uh, what is your favorite proposal and why? So that is a tough question because um, I'm aware of most of many of them and I like a number of them. Um, so since I can cheat by skipping all the ones that have already landed, um, I am very excited about class fields, um, which is currently stage three. Um, public fields are a nice syntactic sugar that people have used in many communities for many years, but um, private fields are actually a capability that functions have, but class instances don't. Uh, and the lack of proper privacy is, uh, has caused a lot of issues in maintaining projects and in production and things like that. And, um, being able to provide it and at a stronger level of privacy than most languages have, I think, uh, is, is really great. Um, and then I'm also really excited about temporal, which is stage two, but, um, the date object is a huge pain in the butt. It's mm -hmm. like, it's not even a clear mental model. Like, is it in UTC time? Is it in a time zone? Like, how do you translate between time zones when a date instance really isn't even in a time zone? You know, it, there, there's like real life problems yeah. uh, when you live in a global society that date doesn't solve. And so temporal will address these. And I'm, I'm very excited for that. Also, probably we might also get the Martian time zone sooner. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is, we have definitely joked about planning a TC39 meeting on Mars so that we can and therefore, we have to make sure temporal supports Martian time. Um, not sure how that's shaking out, but <laughs> we've talked about it. Yeah. Awesome, Jordan. It was really great to have you on the show. And I'm Glad looking to forward to, to meet you in more of the um, meetings. Same here. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye.